Today's scripture is John 14, 1 to 6. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You may be seated. And, and as you're being seated, it is genuinely really, really good to be here uh, this morning. I feel like I know so many of you. And so it feels like I'm with friends, I'm with family, and uh, it's exciting to be here uh, to see what the Lord is doing in, in, in Surrey. And so um, let me pray for us and then we'll open God's word. Father, I thank you that you sent your son Jesus, not just to come and not just to die, and not just to raise himself, uh, be raised from the grave, but, but to come again and to restore all things. Lord, I ask that you would, by your spirit, help us to understand your word, that you would get it in our hearts, that we might be changed people. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you have been doing, we're going to continue this week going through the Gospel of John in Advent. This week we're in John 14, as Megan so lovely read for us. And the last time I preached on John 14, 1 to 6, I was actually at my wife's grandfather's funeral. Now, admittedly, the tenor in the room that day is a little different than the tenor in the room this morning. It's not quite as somber, not quite as subdued. Nonetheless, I think the same question that was present in that room all those years ago in that funeral home in Calgary, is actually still present with us today, can actually still be found in this room today. And the question is this, ready? Is everything going to be okay? Is everything going to be okay? Obviously, death and our awareness of our own mortality brings about these contemplations, but also Advent, Christmas, likewise, as we labor, sometimes to the point of near-death exhaustion, to push back the darkness, to create a reprieve of moment and joy for just one day, for just one day, so too do we begin to ask, is everything going to be okay? Is it going to be okay? The good news this morning is that during the Advent season, we reflect not on one arrival only, but on two arrivals. Not on one coming only, but on two coming. One, which has already occurred, and you've heard this story before perhaps, involving wise men and a manger and shepherds and stars, and maybe you're familiar with that story. Still, there is another Advent, an arrival that is to come, an arrival where we will see Christ descend, not in humility as he did at his first advent, but in gloriously visible power and authority. As one fourth century theologian put it, at advent, we preach not one advent only of Christ, but a second also, far more glorious than the former. For the former gave a view of his patience, but the latter brings with it the crown of a divine kingdom. We rest 
Not upon his first advent only, but look also for his second. And as at his first coming, we said, Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. So will we repeat the same at his second coming. That when with the angels we meet our master, we may worship him and say, Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. See, Advent emphatically answers the question, is everything going to be okay by pointing us not just backwards, but forwards? Not just what has happened, but what will happen in Christ. And so I hope you have your Bible open to John 14. This morning, John 14 will be our guide. And we're going to try, by God's grace and by His Spirit, to pull into the present the future promise we have of Christ's second coming. Okay? If you're taking notes, really simple. First point, commanded to trust. Second point, cultivating excitement. And then third point, carrying on. Now, I just want to say this from the get-go. If you used to be in East Vancouver and we sent you out, you know that in East Vancouver we're very expressive. And if you want to amen at any moment or yell your disagreement at any moment, just feel free to do it, okay? Let's be expressive here this morning. First point, commanded to trust. If you have your Bibles open, and I hope you do, John 14, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible at all, there's some at the back. Yeah, grab one, keep one. It's our gift to you. I'm just giving away their stuff. John 14, verse 1, Jesus says this, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. So at this point in John's gospel, Jesus' disciples are asking the same question that we're asking, which is very convenient for us, isn't it? Is everything going to be okay? Is it going to be okay? We are encountering a group of Jesus followers huddled around a dimly lit table, feeling much the same way many of us are perhaps feeling this morning. Confused, sad, angry, empty, perhaps even bitter. Why? Jesus has just told his disciples that he's leaving He's going away. And where he's going, they cannot follow at this point, he says that in John 13. Later in John 14, he'll say that his leaving will feel like an orphaning. It will feel like mom and dad dying. To add uh, insult to injury, uh, just before this, Judas has already gone out to betray Jesus. And and Jesus has prophesied that Peter is going to betray him. And so I don't know what awkward family Christmas dinners you have planned this year. But this dinner is infinitely more awkward, is it not? It's infinitely more somber. It's infinitely more subdued. Is everything going to be okay? And so in the midst of Jesus saying these things to his disciples, ever the good shepherd... He senses the need for a pastoral moment. I think it's so instructive that in this tender and frail moment, Jesus does not, as I am so often tempted to do as a parent of four boys, minimize the difficulty and the sadness of the situation. He doesn't do that. He doesn't minimize the situation. Nor does he join in on the despairing mood in the room and just say, yeah, me too. No, Jesus says, hold on to me. Hold on to me. 
John 14 verse 1 says to them and through the ages to us, literally with the force of a loving command, stop letting your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. As we consider the second advent of Christ this morning, here's what I want us to see. It's really simple, but it's really beautiful. Eager anticipation for the future return of Jesus begins and is sustained by a present love and holding on to Jesus, believing in Jesus, delighting in Jesus, treasuring Jesus. We will never eagerly anticipate his kingdom if we do not right now have a loving relationship with the king, with our Lord. And so for Christians, here's what this means. Advent is a season, maybe even boringly to some of you, but, but, but I pray that God would work by his spirit to change this. Advent is a season of doubling down on Jesus, of going deeper into all Jesus is of finding in the gospel new and glorious and wonderful treasures, not as we abandon it, not as we seek something new, but go deeper into all that Christ has done for us, all that Christ wants for us. Advent is a season of, in God's grace, repenting for the ways that we think we've intellectually and emotionally mastered the Incarnation or intellectually and emotionally mastered his second return. And beholding them gloriously anew with wonder and awe and humility. Advent is a season, if you're a follower of Jesus, for doubling down on Jesus. But if you're new and you don't know Jesus, Advent is a season of discovering those things for the first time. Of discovering that the superficial commercial Christmas that is celebrated across the board actually points to something of real substance and meaning. That answers our deepest longings, our biggest questions. Is everything going to be okay? It's important that we begin here. It's perhaps most supremely important because at the return of Jesus, just like at his first arrival, the greatest gift we receive is Jesus himself. And so let me just ask you a few questions. What are you most excited about? When Jesus comes back, you can close your eyes, maybe imagine this if you'd like. When Jesus comes and renews the heavens and the earth, it gives us new physical bodies. We don't have a disembodied future. We have an embodied future in an embodied world with Christ. And when he comes to do that, what are you most looking forward to? What causes your heart to soar? Perhaps it's being reunited with your spouse, being with your kids. Perhaps it's an eternity of pursuing pleasures you could not afford in this life. Maybe, maybe you're lactose intolerant, and the first 200 years is going to be eating cheese and drinking milk and just glorying in the glory of all that is. Maybe you're looking forward to sitting around a table with some of the world's greatest thinkers and just hearing them talk about the Lord hearing them talk about his world. What causes your heart to soar? Admittedly, all those things, especially the cheese, are are very appealing to me. And because they are so appealing to me, I can begin to think, and I think we can begin to think, 
that, that Jesus' kingdom is about enjoying his gifts and not the giver. But look at John 14, verse 3. If you have your Bibles open, just look there with me. Jesus says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, listen, I will come again and take you to myself. That's a promise in God's word. I will come again and take you to Hold on to that. It's a promise in God's word. And then Jesus says this, that where I am, you may be also. So if we, if we just stop and, and we just think about this, the audacious presupposition that Jesus is making, that Jesus is bringing to his disciples' real pain and to our real pain is that his presence is the cure for what ails them. Jesus is cutting through all of our superficial longings, all of those things we go to for comfort, perhaps even cheese, and he's saying what you really want and what your heart really soars for and soars towards is being with me. When I come back, you get me and enjoying me. Being in a heavenly house, which by the way, if you look at your Bibles, that language of home and room and house, it's language of absolute intimacy. It's amazing. With me, Jesus says. And so the pastor and theologian, John Piper, he, he puts it to us really well, I think, when he writes this. He says, the critical question for our generation and for every generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness, and with all the friends you ever had on earth, and all the food you ever liked, and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed, and all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted, and no human conflicts or, or, or natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ were not there? It's a deeply convicting question. If you're new this morning or you're not a follower of Jesus, again, welcome. But perhaps you've come because you needed some advice, some problem, and you've heard that Jesus is this wise sage and he has the wisdom to guide you through this moment. Or perhaps you've come this morning because somebody is really sick in your life, like really, really sick. And you're wondering if Jesus is the same wonder worker today as he was back then. Or maybe you've come because you've noticed, like many of us, the societal and cultural decay in our day. And you heard someone say, the, the podcast you listened to, they said that religious institutions are important. And so you thought you'd give them a try. However you've come this morning, whatever road has brought you into this place, let me just say this. While Jesus' wisdom is unparalleled, and while we believe that Jesus heals even today, while Jesus and his good commands are the foundation, the soil for a flourishing society, all those gifts, as good as they are, and they're really, really good, all those gifts pale in comparison with knowing Jesus and being with Jesus and loving and being loved by Jesus. Can I invite you this morning to trust in Jesus? However you come, to trust in Jesus, to believe in Jesus. 
But maybe you've been following him for a while. You do, Jake, trust in Jesus. I think there's a caution for us here as Christians. Again, for those of us who love Jesus, it's not surprising, right? To see a society in decay, in moral chaos, that has moved away from its Judeo-Christian soil, its Judeo-Christian foundation. It's not surprising to us in some ways, right? As a result, I think, in the church at least, we have begun to eagerly celebrate those on the outside who are saying, hey, the church is doing something good. And so this past week, actually it was a few weeks ago, I read this blog post, maybe you read it. It's called, Why I'm a Christian Now. Did you read that? And there this woman who was a Muslim and then a vocal atheist, this public intellectual, is now saying that she's a Christian. And I pray to the Lord that she is a follower of Jesus. But if you were to read that article, and again, maybe you did read it, if you were to read that article, it sounds like an argument for, for the West and Western civilization. And while I love the West, and I'm thankful for many of the things that the West has given us, it's also given us consumerism. It's also given us rampant individualism. And so I wonder sometimes that in our eagerness to champion these people, to champion these thinkers, these Christian-adjacent thinkers, that we've lost really the point of what we're doing here, that we're not winning people to the West. We're not winning people to, to Western civilization. We're winning people to Jesus and to the gospel of Jesus. It's a word of caution to us. Have we been so enamored with his gifts and they're real and they're good? And have we been so enamored with those gifts this morning that we've lost sight of Jesus? Jesus says, John 14, verse 1, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Hold on to Jesus. Trust Jesus. And as we do this, we find, and this is our second point, we grow in excitement for the kingdom that he will bring at his second coming. Look back at John 14 with me. This is point two, cultivating excitement. Jesus says, in my Father's house are many rooms. And if it were not so, if I were lying to you, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Our tendency to love the gifts more than the giver is not ill-founded. While we must labor to ensure our hearts are fully set on Jesus, it would be a mistake this morning to think that at Jesus' return, his kingdom consists of some disembodied mind meld with him. When I was a kid, I thought heaven was an eternal staring contest with Jesus, like on clouds, just us staring at each other for a really long time. And I would just lose because like, I just couldn't look at Jesus that long. And just for eternity, I would be losing the staring contest. I thought that's what heaven was. I thought it was that and Philadelphia cream cheese, some combination thereof. But, but that's not the promise of Christ's second coming. That's not what he holds out for us. While the language of house and homes is undoubtedly meant to convey intimacy, it's also meant to stir our imaginations to both the expansiveness and the unknown wonders that will greet us when Jesus comes at his second advent. We're meant to be excited by this. But we're meant to use our imagination because of the language that Jesus very skillfully and intentionally employs. 
In other words, Jesus wants to cultivate excitement in us for his second coming, for the world he's bringing, a real physical world. Not clouds, not harps, maybe some harps. If you play the harp, I'm sorry. But a real world. And and, and so see this with me. First, consider with me that the home that Jesus is bringing will have rooms, Jesus says, for many people. For many people. If you've been following along in John's gospel, so if we're doing a series through John, this would be very obvious to you this morning. But this language of many has come up time and time and time and time and time again in John's gospel. So for example, Jesus is preaching among shock, the Samaritans in John 4, and it says in John 4, verse 41, when he's preaching among the Samaritans, many more believed because of his word. And then again in John 8, Jesus is again preaching. And John says, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Many believed in him. Then in John 10, Jesus went away again across the Jordan to the place where John, that's John the Baptist, had been baptizing at first. And there he remained. Listen, verse 41. And many came to him. And they said, John did no sign. But everything that John said about this man was true. Listen, and many again believed in him there. So many in John's gospel refers firstly to many people. Jesus saying, all these people have believed in me. I go to prepare room for all these people. It's many people, many people. But also in John's gospel, many refers to many different kinds of people. In John's gospel alone, we see that the many who Jesus talks about and who he preaches to and indeed believe in him include the rich and the poor, the white collar and the blue collar, those who grew up with stories of the Bible steeped in Torah, and those who are brand new to all of this, those who are ostracized in society, and those who are honored. It includes those who are slow to believe and a bit hard-headed and hard-hearted and those for whom belief seems easy and simple. Which means this, and I just want to spend some time here. This means that there's something of heaven for us to experience today as we intentionally move towards other believers who are not like us, who are really, really different than us. Some of you know our story in East Vancouver. We planted in in 2019, right before a pandemic, which is the ideal time to plant a church. If you're wondering, it's right before a pandemic. That's that's really when you should do it. And so we planted in 2019, and no church planner will say this, but I'm giving away our secrets here for a second. Sorry, Daniel. Sorry, Lee. When you plant a church, you have in your mind who will come to your church, the people who will come, the, the kind of people who will come. And certainly I did. And by God's grace, due to a confluence of a number of factors, our proximity to the downtown east side, half our church working and serving on the downtown east side, just where we are in the city, due to a number of factors, who has come to our church is very, very different socioeconomically than I thought who would come to our church. And let me tell you something, it is the greatest gift the Lord has given us. Tremendous gift. Those who are with us in East Vancouver can attest to this tremendous gift. You are at this very, very precious time as a church. Daniel, you guys are how old as a church? Three months old. Baby, infant, impressionable church. And just like with kids who are so impressionable 
so, so formable, so shapeable, those are not words, so too do you have this moment right now to decide, are we going to be a culture, are we going to be a church that doesn't just say we're just a young family's church, or we're just like a whatever church, but we're going to be a church as intentionally moving towards people who are not like us socioeconomically, not like us age and stage-wise, not like us ethnically? Are you going to be a church that says, we're going to do this? And and I get sometimes, especially if you're a young family, I'm I'm a dad of a young family, you see another young family, you're like, oh, they have diapers, I should be friends with them to get some of those diapers off of them. Or like, like they're also like very sleep-deprived, and so maybe we have a point of like connection here. Or maybe you're older, and you're thinking, I need people who are the same stage of life that I'm in. Like, I'm retired, they're retired. We, we, we kind of, we, we get it now. I want to just exhort you, Christ City Surrey. One of the great gifts of being a guest preacher is you can come and say hard things and then leave. I want to just exhort you in love, Christ City Surrey, to be very intentional in reaching beyond people that you'd normally spend time with, that you'd be naturally drawn towards. And undoubtedly, you will find yourself with those people, and that's not a bad thing. But work hard to be with other believers who are not like you. Why? Because the Bible tells us that there's a little piece of heaven for us to enjoy now. A little piece of God's kingdom to have now as we do that. As we experience in rich diversity, his people. Jesus says, my kingdom has room for many people who are really different. First thing. Second thing. The many rooms speaks not just to many people, not just to many different kinds of people, but also refers to the kingdom's inherent expansiveness. The expansiveness of God's kingdom that he comes to bring. It speaks to this truth that in Jesus' kingdom, we will open door after door to wonder and awe. We will be surprised at every turn and not in the bad way. Door after door to wonder and awe, each door leading us deeper into another dimension of truth and life. So while heaven must first be about the giver before the gifts, it is nonetheless a place of unending gifts and blessing, a place, Jesus himself says, of rewards. And so here's the dynamic that we observe in my family every Christmas and see if this relates to you. There is, at the beginning... This insatiable desire for stuff. Stuff, stuff, stuff. From me and from my wife and as well as our kids. I'm not talking about my kids here. Stuff. We want stuff. And, and we get to Christmas morning and there's this brief reprieve, right? Of joy and excitement. I got the stuff. And then it's really interesting to watch us and kids. Like moments later, sometimes seconds later, <laughs> boredom. More stuff. Want the stuff, want stuff. Get the stuff! More stuff. Do do, do you know that cycle to to which I refer? Have have you experienced that cycle? We we, we go through that maybe six or seven or or 40 times as a family each year. The, The many room promise of Jesus invites us to long for a world where this cycle is interrupted, where it's up and to the right where it's just never-ending discovery, never-ending hearts soaring both in the giver and in his gifts. That's the promise. 
Jesus is saying that just as we can find no bottom in God, always discovering new and delighting things about him, so too will his home be the place where being the place where God is never cease to amaze us. In my house there are many rooms, Jesus says. Isn't that exciting? I can't wait to be there. Nevertheless, the reality this morning is that while we can hear Jesus' exhortation to trust him and in the moment, maybe this moment, say yes, and we can be excited in this moment about his coming kingdom, we still, like those disciples many years ago, have to leave this dimly lit room, don't we? Work tomorrow, or at least not tomorrow, like two or three weeks from now we get back from vacation. Life continues on. Does Jesus' second advent have anything to say to us today in the grind of life? I, I think so. This is our third and final point, carrying on. How do we carry on as we wait for the second advent of Christ? Look back at John 14 with me. Jesus has so far lovingly commanded his disciples, both past and present, to trust in him. He's spoken about this spacious, yet intimate, eternal abode that he goes to prepare. He's even said, as if it should be obvious, in verse 4, John 14, look there. He says, and you know the way to where I am going. Okay? But then Thomas pipes up. And I love Thomas. Because, you know, maybe you've experienced this before, but there's a preacher at the front, and he's saying something And you're not really getting it because he's not very clear, but you're nodding your head because, you know, that's what you do in church. You nod your head sort of just, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. Thomas has no shame. Thomas is like, I don't get it. This makes no sense. You didn't explain yourself, Jesus. And it sounds maybe a bit obnoxious, but but, but I think, look at verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And the question that Thomas is asking is, it's huge, isn't it? It's one of the big ones. He's basically asking, what's beyond death? How do we get there? Aren't we so glad that Thomas is a bit obnoxious? How do we get there, Jesus? And Jesus responds. God responds. The Holy Spirit speaks to us today I am the way and the truth and the life. No one, no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. There is no alternative route to me. There's no many pathway to me. Jesus says, I, me, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one. Again, no one comes to the Father except through me. It's not this way. It's not that way. It's this way alone. And there is this almost paradoxical thing happening here in our text. Jesus is saying, and John is like this, right? Kind of a bit confusing at times. Jesus is saying, I'm both the destination, so I'm going somewhere to prepare a place for you, but I'm also the way to that place. I'm the place, but I'm also the way to that place. How can that be, Jesus? I think the answer comes to us more clearly as we go later in John 14. So if you have your Bibles, John 14, 
I want to read John 14, 23 and 27. It will come up on the screen, but just look at that with me. So the questions continue, right? Jesus is leaving. We're anxious about you leaving. What's happening? Jesus answered him. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. Listen, this sounds familiar. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Then Jesus says, verse 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives you do I give to you. Again, see if this sounds familiar. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Again, we hear Jesus command our hearts to not be troubled. Again, the reason Jesus gives has to do with home. But something has changed. The reason Jesus gives for settled hearts today is not a future one, but a present reason. He's not pointing to a future home here, but a present home. So here's here's what I think Jesus wants us to see. The many who heed his words to believe in God, believe also in me, those many will carry on, not under their strength, not under their willpower, not because some preacher got up here and said, do better, try harder, not on roads littered with the weak who could not make it up the mountain, but we will carry on, indeed be carried by Jesus' very presence in the person, in the gift of his Holy Spirit. That's what he's saying. We do not need to wait for the second advent to own a home with Jesus. If we accept Jesus today, he takes up residence with us mysteriously and wonderfully now, here, today. At Christmas, brothers and sisters, we're reminded that not only that the word once became flesh and dwelt among us, not only that the same word will reign forever at his second advent over a new heaven and a new earth, but also that the word who became flesh and dwelt among us still dwells among us today, that he is present here today, that he is here even right now. Oh. And for those of us who trust Jesus, and I, I just want to ask you again, do you trust Jesus? For those of us who trust Jesus, he is carrying us deeper and deeper into his life, even in the face of death and discouragement. Friends, for those of us who look to Jesus, everything is going to be okay. And so I want to come today as somebody who many of you don't know, hope you see clearly the word of God. I just want to tell you, I don't know what you're going through, but the Bible says everything's going to be okay. And you're like, Jake, you don't know. And I want to say again, everything's going to be okay. You're like, yeah, but this is actually really serious, Jake. And I again want to say, everything's going to be okay. King Jesus is coming, Amen. He is coming to restore the heavens and the earth. He is coming not just to be the king who is over all, but to be the king who sidles up next to you and says, we made it. And we're here. And what awaits you, you can't even imagine. Oh, I can't wait for that day. I want to end this morning by inviting you just to bow your heads in prayer. And as you bow your heads in prayer, there's this old prayer from the book of of Common Prayer. And I just want to pray over you. Do we just receive this? 
May the Lord make you glad during this remembrance of the birth of his only son, Jesus Christ. That as you joyfully receive him for your redeemer, you may with sure confidence behold him when he shall come to be our judge. Amen.